a privilege and an honor really to be with you this morning. As a pastor, I know what it's like to uh, entrust your pulpit to someone else, especially when you're not there. So uh, um, just appreciate the opportunity to be a servant to you this morning. If you have your Bible handy, please open to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 43, says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, in this passage, we see Jesus coming primarily as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. You know, we understand the whole principle of a ransom. Someone's been kidnapped. Someone's being held hostage. Their life is being threatened. And all of humanity was held hostage by sin and by the, by the enemy. And Jesus came to lay down his life as the servant king to ransom us, to, in a sense, pay with his life and his blood so that we might be free. Not just to be free to do whatever we want. See, a lot of times we think, oh, man, freedom, freedom. But free to do what? I'm free to serve him. I'm free to be part of the body of Christ that he wants me to be, whatever functioning part that is. And so when Jesus is talking to his disciples, let me put this in context for you, because sometimes we pull passages out as teachers and we just kind of throw that at you, and we don't have the full context. Well, the context here is, when you look at Mark's version and Matthew's parallel passage to it, uh, James and John and, and their mama show up, and mama says to Jesus, Jesus, will you take my boys and put one on the left and one on the right because they're special? <laughs> what did the other ten do? The Bible tells us they got a little upset about it. They thought, you know, why do these guys get that place of preference, that place of prominence? And yet we see Jesus responding to the disciples, James and John, and everybody speaking to all twelve. And this is his response. He says, you know what? Whoever wants to be the greatest among you, you're going to have to be the servant. That doesn't mean you're going to get necessarily the place at my right hand or my left hand. That means you're going to be out there working with me and for me. See, so many times what we've done in the body of Christ, we think, I've come to Jesus to be served. Well, one of the things that we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks, and and as I mentioned this morning earlier, this service really is just one big infomercial for the LEDTS. Well, we get infomercials all the time, don't we? So we might as well get in on the deal. And so all I'm doing is trying to sell you on the idea to really come and get the really depth of what we're going to be teaching about the Ministry of Helps or Supportive Ministries, whatever terminology you want to do and use. But really it's all about discipleship. It's about being a disciple, a doer of the Word. Because we're not called just to come into Jesus and have Jesus serve us. He is the servant king. But then we hook up with him, and we become servants of like-minded faith with him. And so when when Jesus looks at this situation and he says to them, if you really want to be great, if you want to be the servant of all, he says, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And he says, I want you to understand this principle because I'm giving my life for this very purpose, this mission. Now, when we see that as an assignment, we see the fact that sometimes preference is what we're looking for. We want to be appreciated. We want preference. You know, we want to get to the front of the line sometimes. Now, you know, I have two grown children. They're both married, and 
Uh, they have blessed my wife and I with five wonderful little grandchildren. Well, they're not little anymore. The oldest one's almost 10 already. I, I'm too young to be that, have that. I got married when I was about four. So um, the one thing about uh, being a grandparent and having five grandchildren is when they get together and we have dinner, we meet them at a restaurant, there's always a battle who's going to sit by grandpa and grandma. You know, I've got two little twins, and of course, they both want to sit between us. And that doesn't work. You can't have two people between us and still be close to each other. So the little ones are always the ones who are fighting over it. Now, fortunately, my one grandson who's older, he's almost 10, and my other granddaughter, they're more mature, and they know that they're going to get to spend time with grandma and grandpa. But isn't it interesting that the immature ones, the younger ones, are usually the ones who are fighting for preference? The more mature ones are saying, go ahead. We'll, sit, we'll step back because we know what our responsibilities are. We know where our opportunity is going to come. And see, what I want to understand and get across to you this year is that you are faced with a vision and a declaration as a year of what? Opportunities. Every opportunity that you have to serve, you ought to take it. Every opportunity you have to serve, you should take it. Turn over to John chapter 13 for a second. Let me show you another illustration of Jesus. In John chapter 13... Starting in verse 12, this is Jesus at the last Passover. And the first thing he does before he knows he's going to the cross, before he knows he's going to suffer, he goes to his disciples and it says in verse 12, John chapter 13, verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? I'd encourage you to underline that in your Bible. He says... You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Listen to what he's saying. This is the truth. The truth is, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things... Now, guess what? Now, you know these things, too. Now that you know these things, this truth, you will be blessed if you do them. Circle the word if in your Bible, please. Because the word if here is what we call the conditional if. Throughout Scripture, there's always a condition many times for a promise that God has for us. Salvation is a conditional if. If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, thou shalt be saved. There's a condition. Just because you're born into this world doesn't mean you're a Christian. I wish that was true, but it doesn't work that way. There's an if. There's a commitment. There's a responsibility on us to respond to God's ability. We have to find out what it is that that if contains. And in this situation, that if is asking us to do something. He says, you'll be blessed if you do something. What is it that he wants you to do? Serve. He wants you to be willing to take on the same mantle of responsibility to wash someone else's feet. Now, you know, in the past, we, we've been around this Christian stuff for years and years and years. And every now and then you just have one of those kind of, uh, I, I don't want to be insulting, but kind of those crazy services where someone decides, let's have a foot washing service. And everybody that has holes in their socks gets nervous, you know. Uh, 
Because you know, you're gonna, who's going to wash my feet? You know, whose feet do I have to wash? I don't want to wash their feet. I started looking for good feet, you know. <laughs> whose feet am I going to wash? And a lot of times what we do is we line up again for the preferences. I want pastor to wash my feet. <laughs> See, it's not about preference. It's not about position. It's not about recognition. In fact, some of the most rewards that I believe will be handed out in heaven will be the rewards that someone never saw. They're serving, and no one ever took the, the time to really hold them up and say, wow, isn't it great? You know, when we're standing up here in the pulpit, us, you know, ministers, we get all the glory. People go, oh, I wish I could do that. No, you don't. You have no clue. Be thankful that you're only working in the nursery once in a while. All right? See, in, in this situation, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus is explaining and giving an, an example of this assignment of serving. Say that, you know, statistically, most Christians want to be served. They come to the church and they look for something that someone is going to do for them. Who's going to preach to me? Who's going to pray for me? Who's going to greet me? Well, this wasn't a very friendly church. No one greeted me this morning. No one hugged me. Well, next time wear one of those T-shirts that says, hug me. (laughs) You're giving an invitation. You're letting people know it's okay. Now, in this situation, we have to see it's not just an opportunity, but I believe there's an obligation here. When Jesus says, this is my example, this is what I want you to do, that is not a suggestion. See, some opportunities aren't just something that you can choose, say, well, I don't know if I want to do that or not. I think some of the things that God commands us to do then becomes an obligation. Now, see, in our American society, obligation has become a very negative term. We feel obligated, you know. Tom does something for me, I feel obligated to send him a thank you card. I feel obligated to take him out for coffee. You bought lunch this time, I'm obligated to buy lunch that next time. That's why I won't take him to lunch the next time. (laughs) Come on, let's be real. Sometimes that's true, people have done that. And you'd love to take him to lunch, but you know right now you can't afford your own lunch. And then you find yourself out to lunch and they're going, I think it's my turn. Has that ever happened to anybody besides me? Obligation. So we, have, we think of obligation very negatively. Obligation should never be negative, especially when it comes from Jesus. I want to be obligated to him. I owe my life to him. Don't you? I am obligated to him. One translation, the Weiss translation, which is a literal translation from the Greek, says this. Then when he had washed their feet and had taken his outer garments and had taken his place at the table again, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me the teacher and the Lord, and well do you say, for I am. Since therefore I, the Lord, and the teacher washed your feet, you also have a moral obligation to be washing one another's feet, for I gave to you an example that just as I did to you, you also should be doing you also should be doing. There's an ongoing tense there. It's not like, okay, I wash somebody's feet, I'm out of here. You know, as a pastor, 
we've had to deal with this, and, and I'm, I'm the ministerial association director for our state for our ministerial association. I deal with a lot of pastors, and uh, we have about 300 graduates, alumni uh, in our state that I'm responsible for. And I, glory to God, I'm going to come out of there, and, and I'm going to be in the pulpit, and I'm going to preach the glory of God, and we're going to win the world, and we're going to turn it upside right, and glory to God. And then they find out after a couple years in Bible school and going back and working in a church that the pulpit ministry, ministry is only about 5% of what you do. The rest of it is changing diapers of infant baby Christians, washing feet because they go and jump in puddles. Amen. Listen, some of you jumped in puddles on the way here this morning. You got in a little argument with your wife. Maybe you went over the speed limit a little bit and she was looking at you like, you've never been in a hurry to get to church before. That's jumping in a puddle. You know what I mean by that? You know how little kids just get in trouble? Some of you aren't that old. You don't remember that. You just find a puddle and you got to jump in it. We get tempted. Looks fun. There's a lot of things that Jesus is asking us to help other people with. Because they've jumped in a puddle. They've got their diaper dirty. All right? They've messed up. We have a responsibility to put our hand to the plow and say, how can I help? We don't sit back and say, you know, that's, that's their problem. This is saying, do you understand what I have done to you? He says, you have a moral obligation to be washing one another's feet, for I gave to you this example. Now, turn over, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. Because when we put these two words together, obligation and opportunity... I want you to see how they work together. Every opportunity that God shows you ought to be received as an obligation. Now, I know that's going to be really hard for some of you to say, I I just don't feel that you can put that on me. I'm not. I'm just the messenger. But if this is a year of opportunity for you as a congregation, if you're going to be serious about receiving this as a prophetic word, to you as an obligation. You have to fulfill it. It's just not an opportunity. You don't want to get to new 2010 and come up with a new theme and look back at 2009 and say, man, we missed a lot of opportunities. You're going to have them. The Bible talks a lot about different doors of opportunity. And for every opportunity, there'll be obstacles. For every opportunity, there'll be opposition. Scripture says very clearly about that. But for every opportunity, you have to look at it as the fact that if God has given you that opportunity, it's an obligation to walk through that door of opportunity and take advantage of it. Because that's where the anointing lies. That's where the promise lies. That's where the the blessing lies. If you do this, it's going to happen. The blessing will be there. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of what? Every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, or Lord's will is. Now, if you just read this simply as in our context of today's headlines, I think we can agree we're probably closer to the last days than when this was written. And these days are fairly evil. I mean, it's evil. There's a lot that we're dealing with out there. Am I doing something wrong? What?
evil days is what it is. <laughs> what we've got to understand here is that if these days are evil, it says, the Amplified says this, but understand this, that in the last days, these last days will come, they will set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. I like that translation. It talks about perilous times. One thing about perilous times, there's always, always where iniquity does abound, grace does what? Much more abound. So where there's perilous times, God will always provide a promise for powerful times. But that power will be released not because of us sitting back and just waiting for God to show up. There's something that he expects from us to do. He's already given his example to his disciples. He says, all right, guys, I've done this. I want you to keep doing this. Remember that word there? He said, I want you to keep doing this because I'm out of here. I'm turning it over to you. You're it. No backs. You, you know what that means, don't you? You ever played your it tag? See, Jesus walked up to his disciples. He had them all there. He says, you're it. I'm out of here. I'm turning it over to you. I'm delegating this responsibility to you now. So, so many times we're saying, Jesus, won't you come? He says, no, I'm gone. Jesus, won't you come? I'm out of here, guys. I left you to take care of this. You're responsible. He told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm blessed to see these people going all over the world and preaching the gospel. I'm blessed to see your pastor traveling all over the world. Why? Because that's the Great Commission. That's part of being a disciple. Going out and serving and doing the commission that he has given us to go and do. Now, in Ephesians, when he tells us this, he tells us something very specific about this responsibility. Um, actually, I was, I was reading to you out of 2 Timothy. I got so carried away, I skipped a verse for you. Sorry. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where I was reading. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Excuse me. In these last days, because there's such perilous times, we need to find out where we fit and function in the body of Christ. One of the things that I will be doing very specifically and elaborating on during the classes uh, this evening and next week, we'll be talking about a principle of the Ministry of Helps or Supportive Ministry called Fit, Function, and Flourish. We see a lot of people in the body of Christ who have been around for a long time. We just don't see them flourishing or being fruitful like they should be. You know, Jesus teaches just a little bit later after this example where he's washing their feet. That's in John 13, and you get over to John 15, and what does he teach about the abiding is in the vine? It's not just that we should bear fruit, but that that fruit should what? Remain. He wants us to be fruitful. Well, why is it that we do not see enough fruit-bearing Christians? We don't see as much fruit as we would like to see. You know, as a pastor, you, you, you minister to someone and they've been in your church for a long time. Or you, 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 you help them through so many different things. You, you pray them through so many different difficulties. And yet it just seems like there's never really the, the significant change that is potentially there for them. And you, you, you look at them and you try to get them involved in things and, and they realize that all they're concerned about is the next big thing that they're going to get. 
the next big message, the next big meeting, the next big whatever. But they're really not there to take on the real, I would say, discipleship attitude of Jesus to serve. It's really a blessing to see a person like that. They finally all of a sudden realize, you know, I'm just going to get involved with the youth ministry, or I'm going to get involved with ushering, or I'm going to get involved with the music ministry. They get involved someplace, and all of a sudden, they start to change. The transformation starts to take place. They start to grow where they'd been sitting there and sitting there. Well, because they finally found a place to fit and function, and they began to flourish. Now, I'll go into that more in detail tonight. But that principle is throughout Scripture. And if we want to flourish as Christians, if we want to be fruitful as a servant of Christ, we need to find a place to fit, and we need to find a place to function. And when we do, we will bring forth fruit that Jesus himself is the author and finisher of. That's what he wants in our life. He wants us to be fruitful, and he wants that fruit to remain. Now, as you go through here in uh, Timothy, he goes, uh, a number of lists. When you look at verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves. Verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You know, he's talking about these last days. You know, my wife and I do a lot of marriage seminars, and we do a lot of marriage counseling, especially with ministers and others. And one of the things that we run into a lot of times is situations where one of them will sit across from the desk, and I usually hear this from the wife, you know, he's not meeting my needs. He's being selfish. And a lot of times, you know, I'm just, I, I don't mean to be blunt or rude, I said, well, how are you meeting his needs? Because the first thing I want to do is ask them, are they doing their part? And so what, what we have to do is understand we both have a responsibility here to meet the needs of others. What am I doing to lay down my life for another person? It's not a one-way street. It's not about me. All right? It's about someone else. Selfishness, realistically and scripturally, is the opposite of love, not hate. Most of the time we think, well, the opposite of love is hate. No. Scripturally speaking, every time you look at the opposite of love, it's when someone is selfish. Love is selfless, but the opposite of that selfless love is selfish. We're always coming about me. So you want to break that selfishness? Find someone to serve. Find a place to give. Find a way to express that Christ-likeness in you to be a servant to the body of Christ. That's what he's asking us to do. How can we be a servant? And it's not enough just to say, oh, I'm going to serve. You have to learn how. You know, uh, in Luke chapter 11, I believe it is, In verse 1, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. It's interesting, there's no place that records how John taught people to pray. But I think there's a way to read that verse that's a little different than normal. When he said, Lord, teach us to pray, it doesn't say teach us how to pray. Now, it's a little, I want to catch you here. You know, I may know how to do something, that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. The disciples said, teach us to pray. You know, all of you know how to pray, but some of us don't do it very often. Not as much as we could. And so I believe when Jesus said, and then he goes into what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, the disciples are saying, Lord, just teach us to pray. And so he says, here's the model. This is, this is how simple it is. You don't have to do this great, big, long thing. 
the kind of religious prayers that they were probably used to seeing in the temple and the scribes and Pharisees. Here's the simplicity of prayer. Because, you know, I think John the Baptist's prayers was primarily, oh, Lord, I'm repenting, I'm sorry, I need to go get dunked in the river again. You know what I'm saying? But I believe that Jesus' kind of prayers were, Father, here I am in your presence. I'm here just to worship you. I'm here for all that you have. And the Lord wants us to know how to serve and just to do it. You know, a lot of you know how to change a diaper. But how many of you ever volunteered to actually go do that in the nursery? Don't raise your hands. (laughs) See, a lot of times churches require all the parents with little children to volunteer at least once a month. That's kind of a policy generally across the church world. And a lot of times I'm saying, you know, those are the very parents sometimes that need to be in the service. Someone else needs to go change those diapers so mom and dad can be in the service. And, you know, some of the grandmas and grandpas, they got pretty good experience. They, and then over here, oh, no, I'm, I'm older than that. I've, I've done that before. I'm beyond that. But somebody needs their diaper changed, see? <laughs> now, see, what we have to understand is we are never above what Jesus gave as an example. We are never at the point, because he says, I'm your Lord and Master, and I'm still willing to do this. We never get to the point where, well, you know, I'm just the prayer personnel. Fine, pray while you're changing a diaper. Some of those little kids need prayer while they're changing those diapers. Sometimes you need prayer while you're changing that diaper. But be willing to go serve. Nothing drives me more crazy than the mature, older Christians. Uh, You know, I'm beyond that now. I don't don't do that anymore. Been there, done that. I I don't think Jesus ever took that attitude. Do you? Right up to the very time that he went to the cross, he said, what do I need to do for you? The night before he's arrested, he's saying, do you get the example I'm doing for you? I'm willing to wash your feet. I'm willing to take the lowest example of a servant in a household that when guests come to that Jewish house or that culture of that day, they wash their feet. The host, the, the household person didn't do that. The servant did that. That was a low, meaningless job. And Jesus said, do you understand what I'm doing? This is the attitude I want you to take when I'm gone. And we in the church have not really been a very good example of that. We have to start looking at these things the way he looks at them. You know, if in these last days we have to take inventory and, and, and really understand what it is to be selfless. One translation puts it this way in verse 5 there. It says, For although they had a form of religious or true religion, piety, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct <clears throat> excuse me, belies the genuineness of their pr- profession. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Conduct or your actions always speak louder than words. Don't just say, Glory to God, I'm a foot washer and have never touched one. I can always say, okay, what size shoe do I wear? And again, foot washing isn't necessarily a physical, actual thing. Sometimes foot washing is you just praying for that person. You come alongside, what can you do to help? It's a symbolic picture of coming alongside someone to help. And we'll, go, we'll talk about actual helps and administrations that 1 Corinthians 12 talks about tonight. I'll go into detail of both of those words because I, I know Tom was talking about Ephesians 4 and the five-fold ministry or the four-fold ministry. I'll just blow the whole thing up. We'll call it the seven-fold ministry. <laughs> Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, helps and administrations, because those are listed there as well. 
Do you know that there's more people in helps and administrations than there are in all the fivefold put together? Jesus wants more in helps and administrations than he does in the pulpit. Sorry about that. Let's um, let's go over to well let's let me let me finish this. Look at verse ten here in Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter three. Verse ten. Paul says that these people are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And then he says something very powerful in verse 10. You, however, know all about my teachings, my way of life, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured... Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. You know why some of us don't want to get involved and don't want to volunteer for something? Because it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be work. We don't want to put up with the hassle. You know, but yet in all reality, there's a blessing that goes with it. Paul went out on his first missionary trip. When he's talking about this to Timothy, and he's talking about this example, he says, you know what happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. You have to go back to Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14 and read the actual first missionary trip where Paul went. And he went to each one of these cities. And the first city he gets to in Antioch, he gets up and he preaches, and they run him out of town and threaten him. You know, I've never been run out of town. I have been threatened, but I've never been run out of town. (laughs) Then he goes to Iconium. Same thing. Actually, the King James says he was assaulted there, and they wanted to stone him. So he says, well, we've got to get out of here. He says they escaped. And so then they escape in, in Acts chapter 14 down to Lystra. Well, they get to Lystra, and these two guys, this group come down uh, and chase these guys down to Lystra. And this time they actually catch them and drag them out of the city, and they do stone them to death. But thank God it says the disciples got around him and prayed, and he was raised up. Now he's writing to Timothy. And if you keep reading in the book of Acts, you find out in Acts chapter 16 then Paul goes back to those same places on a second missionary trip and runs into Timothy. And it says, Timothy, you know my life. I believe quite honestly because he's already a convert by a second missionary trip. His mother is, his grandmother is. They're all their believers. Where Where did they get saved? How did they get saved? There's only one other reference that Paul was there in the in Acts chapter 13 and 14. I don't doubt a minute that Timothy and his family were part of the group that was there that got saved during the time of Paul's first missionary trip, probably saw Paul getting stoned because Timothy lived in Lystra. Tells us that in Acts chapter 16. So here's Timothy and his family, and he says, and he's writing back to him, you know all my teachings, you know my way of life, you know my conduct, you, you're, you're a living testimony of my purpose and my faith and my patience and my love, but also of my endurance and my persecutions and my sufferings. When you start serving God, it's not going to always be fun and games. There's going to be some challenges. But you know, if you love God, and you know that the blessing's on the other side, you push through. You'd be willing to go. Now, see, I know, I know I joke about the nursery, but I don't know why it is, but churches all over just have problems getting people to work in the nursery and children's church, and they, they somehow see that as babysitting. That, that's not true. Those children need ministry, and they need your love, and they need your parenting, especially in today's society of blended families and broken families and dysfunctional families and everything else that we talk about. They need a solid, mature, loving environment, and we can provide that in the church. 
I'm preaching better than you're responding. Now, if I, I know your pastor, he'd be going, yeah, amen, wouldn't he? I love your pastor. He's, he's, just, he's just uninhibited. And I need you someone to help me here. Uh, <laughs> Let's see. When we understand our responsibility here, when we see what we're supposed to be doing as God's will. Turn over to Romans 12. Let's wrap it up. Romans 12. Very familiar passage of Scripture, I would believe, for most of you. Romans 12. As you're getting there, remember this back in 2 Timothy. After Paul goes through this whole list of all these ungodly things, these selfish things, how, but yet he, God endured and delivered him and all that. Remember it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, so that the servant of the Lord can do what? Do the work that God's called him to do. To serve. That, that's what the end of that chapter is all about. We'll get into that tonight. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm baiting you. It's all right? Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's the King James Version. And I like that phrase, your reasonable service. You know, sometimes when I'm sitting and I'm talking with someone, they've, they've gotten involved in the church, or I'm talking with some other minister and their pastoral staff, and they're having problems getting people involved in their church. I asked them, I said, what is reasonable service? Well, asking me to change diapers is not reasonable. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, you don't have to have any special anointing to change diapers. Now, you might have to have a little talent to sing. You don't want me leading worship. I guarantee you that. All right? Actually, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the B squad on our worship team. I'm the drummer. And I'm always thankful when the A squad is there. But I'll go fill in because I'll be a servant when I have to. Now, what are you willing to do? Let's find out what is God's will here in this situation. We are going to find out what's good, what's acceptable, and what's perfect concerning his will. The NIV puts it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, as living sacrifices. Isn't that the first verse that Jesus gave us about him coming as a ransom to lay down his life for us? If Jesus is willing to do that, isn't that now being transferred to us? As living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Amplified in some other translations put it that way. It's a now, it's a, it's a spiritual action. Do you know that helping out in an area of ministry is just as much worship as you standing up here and raising your hand and singing? That's right. You are worshiping, because Jesus said, if you do this unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. It's not just, oh, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Okay, how much do you love me? I'm in that baby. I said, Pastor, will you get off the diaper thing? <laughs> nope. Because it's a non-threatening illustration. It's something everyone here can do. That doesn't mean you're all going to volunteer to get into the nursery. All right? I'm sure the pastoral staff and the children's workers would love that. But 
All I want you to understand is it's a simple illustration for you and I to roll up our sleeves and literally get our hands dirty. And serve. Do what God's asked you to do. Well, I don't feel any special unction to do that. All right, I'm asking you to do it. Paul is the one that says, I beseech you, brothers. You present your body as a living sacrifice. If you have to go out and do something and help in an area of ministry, you know, I I don't know if they, we have volunteers that do all of our shoveling and all of our stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes when there's, it's really cold and those guys go out there and they do it with joy. Why? Because they're doing it as unto the Lord. If you have a right attitude, you can do anything. Now, as a living sacrifice, and this as part of your spiritual worship, there's one point that I always like to make in this verse. If Jesus was a ransom and he was a living sacrifice, and now Paul's asking us by the Holy Spirit to be a living sacrifice, the one great quality of a living sacrifice is that he can crawl off the altar. Do you understand that? A living sacrifice says, I can crawl off the altar. Abraham and Isaac. Isaac could have crawled off the altar. He didn't. Because God provided himself a lamb. God got into covenant with Abraham because Abraham was willing to give his son and sacrifice him and believe that God would raise him from the dead. God says, that's all I need to be in covenant with you. Now I can give my son and raise him from the dead. Now, when we understand this, we understand what Jesus is asking us to do. Are we willing to take advantage and see it as an obligation to take advantage of every opportunity to serve the body of Christ? That ought to be your spiritual motivation, your moral obligation. That's all he's saying here. Let me read this last verse to you. And when I do, I want you to hear it as if Jesus is speaking it to you. There's many times... Um, when I've gone through some really difficult stuff, and, you know, I have to be like Paul. You know, when you're a pastor or you're ministering to other ministers, doing like I do, you know, you just, you just get discouraged. Yep. I have to be honest. I'm tempted to get discouraged, and there's times I've given in to that temptation. I've just gotten discouraged. You know, you work with someone, and, and you know, you work with a pastor and his wife who are going through difficulty, and, and they're, they're challenged, and, and the next thing you know, you get a phone call that they're, they're shutting down their church, they're getting a divorce, and you're going, Lord, what else could I have done? And so many times it's something else they needed to do that I couldn't do for them. So a lot of times I'm just, you know, having a pity party. You know, when you're having a pity party, you usually have to invite someone else. (laughs) Don't you feel bad for me? If you're going to invite someone to your pity party, invite Jesus. And this is what he'll do when he comes into your pity party. Hey, how you doing? Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 15, verse 14 in the Message Bible is the best translation. And I, I have especially marked this in my Bible, got it printed out specially, and I read this quite often. I do this to encourage myself. David had to encourage himself, didn't he? We have to encourage ourselves, because sometimes no one else will. In Romans chapter 15, verse 14, this is the message. Listen to this, and I want you, if you don't have the message Bible, look up at me and listen to this as if Jesus is saying this to you right now. Jesus says, if, if Jesus was here right now, would he say the same thing that his word says? He wouldn't say anything different. He would repeat these words to you. So all right, now just image me as Jesus. 
personally, I've been completely satisfied with who you are and what you're doing. Oh, those words mean so much to me at times. Because I'm usually not satisfied with myself. He says, personally, I'm completely satisfied with who you are and what you are doing. You seem to me to be well-motivated and well-instructed, quite capable of guiding and advising one another. So, my dear friends, don't take my rather bold and blunt language as criticism. It's not criticism. I'm simply underlining how very much I need your help in carrying out this highly focused assignment that God gave me this priestly and gospel work of serving the spiritual needs of the non-Jewish outsiders or the others so that they can be presented as an acceptable offering to God, made whole and holy by God's Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? God is completely satisfied with you, just as you are. Now, how much more if you roll up your sleeves and actually start to do that conditional if? How much more when we see the opportunity to imitate his example? How much more would you feel good about yourself knowing that you've done something as unto Jesus? Again, you're not, I don't stand up here to be seen of men. Quite honestly, I was the kind of guy in high school, I would flunk my English speech classes because of the fear of man. I, I would just take an F instead of stand up and do speech. I was so intimidated to stand in public. And I think it's just ironic that then God called me to be a preacher. I said, God, you got, I feel like Abraham or Moses. God, you've got to be kidding me. I am not eloquent in speech. I butcher the English language. I'm very creative when I make up words. That's my congregation. I made up some really doozies last night. You know, you get, you get into this and you realize that God just wants you just to be his. That's all. Just do what he asks you to do. Just do what's in your heart to do. And sometimes just do whatever the plow in front of you needs to be done. You don't have to walk around and say, hey, somebody needs to do this. Well, I say this to people. If you got the unction, you got the function. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? That means if you saw it, pick it up. Yeah. There you go. Some of you parents need to do that with your kids. Yeah. Oh, never mind. This isn't a parenting class. <laughs> so again, the whole purpose of this, this morning is a big infomercial because I, there's no way that I can go into the really depth of all these verses and all these scriptures, especially 1 Corinthians 12 about helps and administrations. We'll go through the definition of those tonight. We'll break it out and talk about the actual ministry of helps, what supportive ministries is, what it is to put your hands to the plow and work. It says, I need your help. Listen to this verse. I need your help. Your pastor is asking you, I need your help. Your other ministry directors, whatever, whatever title you have in your church, they need your help in carrying out this highly focused assignment that God has given you this year to take advantage of every opportunity, it says, to do this priestly and gospel work of serving the spiritual needs of others. And that will make them whole and holy through God. Father, I just thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for each and every heart here. I thank you for receptive ears, but not just to hear, but to be doers, to be doers of the word that they've heard. Father, I thank you that the seed has been planted. I've done my job to, to give them the truth. I thank you, Father, that the truth can always find access into their heart. Lord God, I thank you that your word does not return unto you void. It's an incorruptible seed. 
So we honor you and we thank you for what you have in store for each person. Opportunities. Each opportunity that they have. They'll see it. They'll recognize it. And with joy they will serve you. Thank you, Jesus. I have one last thing the Lord reminded me that I need to share. You know, Mark 16 tells us as disciples to go into all the world. You know, obviously we're supposed to preach, but we're supposed to lay. These are the signs that will follow them that believe. How many of you are believers? About half of you. You're a believer. So they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You know why a lot of Christians don't obey that scripture? Because they think somehow or another they don't have a healing anointing. It doesn't mention that there. It doesn't even mention to pray. I've been in situations where we went into a hospital where someone was locked up in the, in the loony bin, and the Lord told my wife on our way there, said, don't pray for him. Just when you get there, have every opportunity to lay hands on him. Just put your hands on him. And that's what we did. In three days, he was out in his totally right mind. All we do is lay hands on his pillow, lay hands on him. Now, can I take credit for that? No. You know what these are? We call these jumper cables for God. (laughs) Hold up your jumper cables. Do you know how hard it is? It says lay hands on the sick. You know anybody that's ever sick? All you got to do is just say, how are you feeling today? They don't even know that you're praying. They don't even have to know. You say, oh, brother, I got to pray for you today. Most of the time when I go to hospital visitations, those people don't feel good. They, they, they don't, it's embarrassing. They don't want their pastor to see them dressed in their finest with the back hanging out. And so a lot of times I'm just going just, how are you doing? I just hold their hand. A lot of times I'll just hold their hand. Because all I am is the jumper cable. I'm taking from this battery to that need. I can't take credit for it. I'm not the healer. I don't have any power. All I have is the power to take the opportunity and the obligation to be obedient. It might be someone that you just need to share a good word with. Just smile at them. Just talk to them. How are you doing today? Someone that you work with. You know they're going through a divorce or they're having a mess with their kids. How are you doing? Just engage them. We've been left... You know, if, if just getting born again was all it is, as soon as you die, God knock you on the head and send you to heaven. Isn't that true? We're here for a reason. He left us here. That's why we come, Lord Jesus, to get us out of here. Stop praying that. Huh? He's coming when all the precious fruit of the earth is done. So we got some harvest to get. Amen?